Coming to you from the American College of Emergency Physicians annual meeting in Boston, Massachusetts. This is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholz. I'm joined by Dean Wilkerson. He's the Executive Director for ASAP. Dean, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Matt. So, obviously, uh, having you with us, it's a rare privilege. Uh, gives us a chance to think broadly about a lot of the initiatives, the main priorities for ASAP. And one of them, as I understand it, is a, a true emphasis on quality, which I hear across uh, several associations, but the steps that I've heard ASAP taking to really uh, delve into this seem uh, more richly uh, deserved of praise, if you will. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about some of the steps that ASAP is taking towards ensuring and emphasizing quality. Well, thank you. Yes, that's our um, the crux of our mission statement is to provide the highest quality of emergency care. That's that's what our goal is. And um, as you say, the the government, private payers, the certifying boards, everybody is emphasizing you know improving quality, delivering more value to our healthcare system. So one of the things ASAP has done uh, just in the last six months is to be approved. Uh, for a qualified clinical data registry where our members will begin reporting on, on true quality uh, measures, not something silly like give the person an aspirin and they come in. You know, there's some things that are process uh, measures, but we're really looking at, uh, you know, improving the treatment of sepsis and, and chest pain and, and uh, collecting those quality measures. So that's something we're very excited about. We've created the Clinical Emergency Data Registry, CEDAR, and um, so we're looking forward to, to growing that. We think we'll have about 4,000 physicians enrolled by the end of this year. So this is just a rolled out, just recently created? Yes, yes. We were approved in April by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And so we've been working hard about the last three or four months. And um, several decent-sized emergency department groups have come on board. We're, um, we're working and piloting with some of the largest ones, and we, we hope to get them on board. So CEDAR is a major quality initiative. Um, we were also just approved. We were one of, I think, 39 or 36 organizations approved by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, CMMI, to get a, um, I don't know what it's called, TCPI, whatever that acronym, Translational Clinical uh, Performance Improvement, I believe is what it is. Anyway, they gave us a CMMI grant, and we're going to... Um, it could total $3 million over four years. We're going to engage about 2,000 emergency departments. And the, the objectives of our grant are to promote and implement our Choosing Wisely recommendations, which most of your listeners, I believe, if they're in the medical field, uh, they're supposedly better for patients, these things that we have are on our Choosing Wisely list. Plus, they save money to the healthcare system. So that's one thing. The other is the early diagnosis and treatment of sepsis is one of the main killers, uh, people that come to the hospital. And then um, the third is the uh, management of chest pain. So our CMMI grant, our CEDAR registry, we're also doing a lot of work with the American Board of Emergency Medicine, our certifying board, developing modules for them, patient safety modules, part of their maintenance of certification, and some performance improvement modules. So a lot of good things going on. Yeah, clearly. Uh, let me... Broaden the scope a little bit. Um, obviously, the repeal of the SGR, some things changed in that respect in terms of quality reporting. Um, did ASAP play a role in, in that, or, or is it playing a role in uh, responding to that with the way that your initiative is moving forward? 
Um, I, I feel like all of the above. I mean, in fairness, the American Medical Association, the AMA, led the charge, led the movement, and we've been working on it for the whole time I've been here. I've been 11 years with ASEP. We've been trying to repeal the SGR, but ASEP, along with others in the medical community and the AMA, were successful. But I kid people. I feel sometimes like we may be the barking dog who caught the car. You know, we got the SGR repealed, but now with the um, Medicare Access and Chip Reauthorization Act, MACRA, uh, as you point out, MACRA is heavily driven by quality improvement. There's kind of two prongs of how doctors might be paid. One is referred to as MIPS, Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, which is kind of a continuation of the system the government's been using um, you know, previously. And I don't want to get into too many acronyms, PQRS, Physician Quality Reporting System. MIPS is kind of that on steroids. And then the other, other prong is uh, alternative payment models. And so ASAP has uh, task forces that are looking at how could we fit into some alternative payment models, how could we use our registry to um, show the government and payers that, hey, look, we're implementing choosing wisely, we're saving money in all these areas, and so pay us in a different way based on you know, the value we're delivering. So we'll see. <laughs> we will see. It's a, it's a little nerve-wracking to think about, you know, brave new world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well put. It is sort of a brave Fever new world. service is, is going away. It's not going away tomorrow, but it will be going away, I believe, over the next three to five years. And so we've got to figure out how to um, adapt. Right. Uh, towards more outcomes-based models. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, why don't we shift gears a little bit and talk about another initiative that's going on with ASAP, and it's been floating around the term of the medical neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what that means to you from your chair as executive director. Well, um, as, as I'm sure your listeners know, uh, the patient-centered medical home is a, a pretty well-established concept for primary care, but um, as we all know, there's not enough primary care doctors. There are uh, many physicians in the country that don't take Medicaid. Uh, they don't take new Medicare patients, even as 10,000 people a day are turning, you know, getting eligible for Medicare. So we, our visits, uh, it's anticipated that, that when the new CDC numbers come out, it will be 150 million that are visiting the emergency department. Now that's even as we have uh, the advent of more urgent care centers, retail clinics, telemedicine, community paramedicine. Uh, the public are voting with their feet, you know, to come to emergency departments. So, um, you know, we're the medical neighborhood concept. We want to be more about care coordination and helping patients uh, when they come to the ED find an appropriate situs of care, follow up. And we have some things in the works. We, we, it's not fully developed yet, but we're hoping to work with uh, the developers of the National Emergency Visit Reporting System, NEVERS, NEVRS. Um, we're in negotiations now, but we believe it's going to be a really good care coordination system that will help. Um, so, so that, you know, 68% of all hospital admissions come through the emergency department. So we're the front door to the hospital, and we believe we're the porch of the medical neighborhood. We can somehow, you know, see the patients, and particularly acute care that's uh, after hours, weekends, you know, most physicians' offices aren't open. So we have to figure out as a society, and I believe part of the solution is if we could, I'm sure your hospital listeners have 
want to shoot me, but somehow we have to figure out that, that there's not the, such a terrible facility charge for those visits. If you come to me and you think you may have broken your ankle, sprained severely, and you're in a lot of pain, uh, you, know, you shouldn't get an $800 facility fee on top of that. My fee may be $120 to see it as a doctor. Um, and so somehow we have to figure out how the ED can be part of the solution and not the failure of the system, so to speak. Do you think that's a particularly long-term kind of goal, or is that something that um, might come happenstance with a number of the policy changes and practice shifts that uh, we were just talking about earlier as far as quality reporting and such? It's, it's likely a, a longer-term goal, uh, realistically, but it is the, the delivery model for the Kaiser system in California. I have an ailment at 6 in the evening, I go to the hospital. And they have a mechanism or a fast track or, you know, I show them my card and I get my treatment at the hospital. You know, Kaiser does that. I think the Scott and White system in Texas. Uh, so a lot of integrated healthcare systems are figuring out how to do this. You know, they spread their costs and they don't just lard a bunch onto the emergency department. And so we're going to have to figure out how more broadly in hospitals that contract with their emergency department group and they're not employees, how we can do that. And um, again, we've got some ideas. We're, we're trying to do that. That'll really be the the uh, the golden ring for for our specialty. If we can show that we are part of the access to patient care, we're we're, we're creating access. We're not just driving up costs in some way. Right. Well, if you're just tuning in, this is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholz, and I'm joined by Dean Wilkerson. He's the executive director for ASAP. Now. A sentiment that I've heard strongly repeated um, along the lines of this medical neighborhood is that, uh, yes, the, the medical home is endorsed. Everybody thinks it's wonderful. Uh, it would be great uh, to see. But for one reason or another, uh, unfortunately uh, for the system, but fortunately that it exists, emergency medicine can serve as the home for the homeless, the medical home yeah. for the homeless. Um, and there's a sentiment uh, of not wanting to be villainized for playing that role, uh, which is filling a massive gap right now. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? A number of the people in ASAP have voiced that sentiment. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, Matt. It's, it's, um, it's a catch-22, and people say, oh, the people with lower, less urgent conditions shouldn't be going to the hospital, but if you call your uh, primary care doctor's office, you know, after five, they probably say, you know, go to the go to the emergency department. Um, so, again, I think we have to figure out how to um, have fast tracks and have a different pricing system for, you know, less urgent care. If you come to me with a gunshot wound, you know, you're going to get the full trauma experience with all the resources, and it should be a hospital should be highly paid for that, uh, you know, but. Somehow we have to figure out where we um, we can provide that. And I don't have the answer to that. I mean, our our country is expanding Medicaid, which in almost every state is a low paying, does not cover cost, and so you know the emergency department has a federal law that we have to see every patient that comes in that thinks they're having a, an emergency, and so I wish there was a way that policymakers would be more understanding of that, we're just doing our mission and our duty and, and what we're required by law to do. 
you know, the uninsured, Medicaid, Medicare, and as I'm sure you know, a lot of these um, insurance policies bought through the state-based exchanges under the Affordable Care Act, and they have high deductibles and, uh, you know, a lot of doctors and hospitals are not in network, and so those people, a lot of them are going to come to the emergency department, you know, so. Right, right, and, and perhaps it's, uh, well, maybe not perhaps, certainly from, I think, the perspective of ASAP, uh, to link that situation as making emergency medicine part of the problem uh, rather than uh, trying to be part of the solution uh, seems like an incredible misstep. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we're, we're always uh, about trying to communicate the value of what we do to the system. And you being a physician, you know that um, cycle time for an employee who has to take off from work and goes to his, his primary care doctor and then they have to send him for an MRI or a film or they have to get lab work or they do this, do that. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of cost off from work. There's cost of everything else. They come to the emergency department. Sometimes you get in and out in a few hours. You have a diagnosis. You have your prescription, everything. And so I think sometimes people compare us with apples and oranges to what you know, the alternatives are. Um, and so we're always communicating that. We did a RAND study a few years ago that uh, had some really compelling evidence about the value of emergency care. And um, we're going to keep plugging away at it. <laughs> like I said, it's, it's not that, you know, some states try to limit visits. You know, if you're a Medicaid patient, so we only get three visits a year to the emergency department. I mean, that was in Washington State. There was that battle. And um, we think stuff like that is dangerous. If patients think that they can't come to the emergency department if they need to. And it's really not fair to our people, of course, if, well, if they've had their three visits, all the rest of them are just on you. <laughs> Like indentured servitude or something. Right, right. You know, and I think one person put it um, beautifully with the play on words when he said, "Listen, it's not rocket surgery." <laughs> and he said, <laughs> "He said, you know, we're often cited as villains in this whole uh, process. Our role seems to be equated with being the bad guys in the move towards medical homes and towards, uh, but we are not. We are not. We're actually trying to hold the ship together. Right. Um, so perhaps words to live by, at least." in these walls. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, why don't we shift gears one more time, because there's one other area that I know is important, uh, an important initiative going on that has to do with balance billing. Mm -hmm. um, admittedly, an area I know not too much about. Um, what can you tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on there from ASAP's point of view? Okay. So in a nutshell, just for uh, if folks who are not familiar with the concept, uh, physicians and hospitals negotiate with insurance carriers as part of their insurance network. And in the course of the negotiation, sometimes, you know, an Aetna, Cigna, United Healthcare, Blue Cross, I'm not picking on any particular one, but they would say, okay, I want to pay you, you know, $30 for that procedure. I want to pay you a Medicaid rate or Medicare. And you as a doctor may say, that's not fair. Um, I'm just not going to be in your network. So if you're out of network, most insurance carriers, like we have health insurance uh, as ASAP employees, if you go out of network, you know, you pay a higher copay and you're subject to getting a balanced bill from the doctor because he's not in your insurance company's network. They just pay whatever rate your plan provides. So um, you know, there's been a lot of controversy about this, that, that patients get surprise bills or bills they didn't expect. Obviously, if you know you're going out of network, if you, if you go to have some hand surgery, let's say, and you check your 
book from your insurer and your doctor's not in there, well, you, you go into it with your eyes open. Okay, I'm going to have to pay more. He's out of my network. But where it's, it's a problem for us is that sometimes your hospital's in network, but the emergency department group or the anesthesiologist or the radiologist or the surgeon or somebody's not in network. And, um, and so that's a, that's a problem. It, it doesn't seem fair to the patients, they, and I understand that. Um, and of course, I work for a physician group, but I believe in many cases the insurance companies are, I believe, scandalously creating narrow networks and shifting costs to the patients. And then they're trying to make the doctors look like bad guys and say, well, it's just the greedy doctors. No, the reality is, in many cases, you, insurance company, are not paying a fair market amount for those doctors. Those doctors might be in network with several other insurers, but they're not in network with you. And so you're just shifting cost to your um, patients or customers. So you may know this week we released a poll that, you know, seven out of ten of our members say that people come that, you know, they've only got one insurance plan with a very narrow network and they can't find a doctor in their network and so they come to the emergency department. Um, and so it's, there's skirmishes at the state level, skirmishes at the federal level, how we can try to come up with a fair system you know. Who's going to wage that battle with the insurers that are engaged in this pretty transparent practice of trying to deflect the payments over to the patient? Because obviously the alternative solution of having uh, physicians in the emergency departments not ordering services from any other departments <laughs> is yeah. a little bit egregious. So where does that war get waged? Well, we are waging it on a number of fronts. You know, uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they have regulations pertaining to this, and we're asking them to have a different interpretation or a different uh, way that their rules would apply to insurance companies. Uh, the Na National Association of Insurance Commissioners is an organ, NAIC is an organization of all the state insurance commissioners, and they're working on a model law that would apply to these situations. And of course, we're, we're in there with the AMA and other organizations saying, well, you need to make sure there's an adequate network. You guys need to set standards for adequate networks. And if you do that, there's going to be a lot less of this you know, out-of-network billing. And so you know, we're waging the war there. And then, of course, in legislature, state to state, as I, I think I mentioned to you before you started the show, that um, we have 53 chapters. Uh, and so in every state, not every, but in a dozen of them, there's... Legislators are looking at this. So um, there's a bill that's just been introduced in Congress that, again, we think is very unfair. It's the Surprise Bills Act or something like that. Uh, Senator Lloyd Doggett, Congressman Lloyd Doggett. And it would just basically ban the right of physicians to send a bill to a patient. Well, that just hands everything to the insurance company on a platter. They can say, I'll tell you what I'm going to pay you. If you don't like it, you can lump it because you can't... <laughs> You can't build a patient. You're just out of luck. Well, we have to wrap up in about a minute or two, but um, before we do, any parting comments that you want to add for our audience? Well, I really appreciate what you're doing here at ReachMD. You're really helping to, uh, you know, I enjoyed the, the one you did with the uh, my counterpart with obstetricians and gynecologists. Uh, hopefully your listeners can learn more about our specialty and um, just appreciate you raising the awareness and knowledge level of people. Our pleasure. So, thank My you, thanks Matt. to Dean Wilkerson, Executive Director of ASEP. We've been talking about a whole range, a gamut of issues that are central to ASEP. And again, 
Ms. Wilkins, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> to access this, other podcasts, videos, etc., etc., for ReachMD, please come to ReachMD.com. We'll be seeing you there. Thanks again.